Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Section 8 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 4. Francesco Sforza, Frederick III, Pope Pius II, Part 2. Recent researches have made us acquainted with the constitution of the government of Milan at this time, which was not as arbitrary as might be thought at first sight. A council of twelve members called the Secret Ducal Council assisted the Duke in the government. This owed its origin at least in part to the similar institution in the Ambrosian Republic. There was a special council of three members for affairs of justice, and another to superintend the revenues. These were carefully ordered and were composed of taxes on merchandise and cattle, of dues payable at the gates, of a tax on grinding corn, and of a money contribution called Caleggio. The army was divided into two parts, the Ducal Army of Lombardy and the Field Army for External Wars. We have said above that the accession of the new Duke of Milan was recognized by Pope Nicholas V. He was a great contrast to his predecessor. His youth was spent in studying and copying ancient manuscripts, and he used the power of the papacy to give a strong impulse to his favorite pursuits. His reign is the beginning of a new era, the dawn of the Renaissance. He cared nothing for war. He employed artists to build, chisel, and paint for him. A hundred men of learning translated for him the treasures of antiquity and were well rewarded for their exertions. In 1450, he celebrated the general peace of Italy by a jubilee attended by an enormous crowd of pilgrims, who brought countless offerings to the Holy See. Such a concourse had not been seen since the great jubilee of 1300 under Pope Boniface VIII, which we find so often recorded in the verse of Dante. The great object of Sforza at his accession was to confirm his power. The Venetians were his bitter enemies. The Republic of the Adriatic formed a league 
with alfonso louis of savoy william of montferrat and the republic of siena florence and milan were close allies cosimo de medici sent agnolo acciacciuli on an embassy to charles the seventh who was able to announce from tours in december fourteen fifty one that the king was willing to conclude an alliance with milan and florence above all sforza desired the recognition of the emperor frederick the third had been promised the imperial crown by eugenius the fourth who had also purchased from him for one hundred thousand gulden the recognition of the pope by germany it was arranged that the emperor was to marry eleonora of portugal the niece of alfonso of naples the marriage and the coronation were arranged by aeneas silvius piccolomini one of the greatest men of the age afterwards pope under the name of pius the second frederick refused to pass by milan to receive the iron crown of lombardy for fear that he might be compelled to recognize the usurper sforza he passed by way of ferrara to florence and was betrothed to his bride at siena on february twenty fourth fourteen fifty two an event which is commemorated by a cross still existing outside the walls of siena and by one of pintoricchio's frescoes in the piccolomini library he entered rome in triumph was crowned there in march and went on to naples for the solemnity of the marriage he was the last emperor who was crowned in rome he returned by way of venice but left without honour or respect we have now reached the furthest verge of the middle ages they are passing away and the modern world is arising in their place frederick was the father of maximilian and the great-grandfather of charles v the emperor had given his countenance to the cause of venice against milan but he had never joined the league between venice and alfonso on the one side and milan and mantua on the other the king of france had two courses before him he could either press his own claim on the duchy of milan or he could support the right of his ward rene of anjou to the throne of naples as we have before indicated he preferred the latter course and in fourteen fifty three rene was sent with an army to assist sforza he did however very little good and soon returned to his own provence just at this time an immense effect was produced by the taking of constantinople by the turks on may twenty ninth fourteen fifty three we know that on our own day this city is considered by most impartial statesmen to be a place of too great importance to be in the hands of any first-rate european state it was of still greater importance then the conquest of new rome once the chief seat of imperial majesty and the second capital of christendom by a militant band of heathen roused europe to the duty of uniting against the common foe the call was felt most strongly by venice which had always stood in the vanguard of the struggle the pope also summoned to rome the representatives of the italian powers to treat of peace in his presence the result of these feelings was the peace of lodi signed on april ninth fourteen fifty four the ada and the olio were to form the boundary between venice and milan the peace of lodi is an important epoch in the history of italy 
it was initiated not by the petty lords of independent cities but by two great states the ancient republic of st mark and the duchy of milan under the energetic rule of a victorious soldier the italian states whether willingly or not all took part in it florence accepted the peace on may fourteenth and it received the adherents of siena lucca perugia the lord of piombino bologna borso marquess of esti duke of modena and reggio louis of mantua the ordalafi of forli the heads of the family of malatesta the manfredi of faenza and imola ancona carlo gonzaga of mantua the malaspina of the lunigiana and other lesser lords the corregeschi of parma submitted to sforza the marquis of montferrat and his brother accepted the peace louis of savoy gave his adhesion in august fourteen fifty four and borso d'este restored to the duke of milan the territory which his brother lionel had occupied in the parmesan italy was now at peace and the five great powers kept each other in equilibrium in the north venice was a counterbalance to milan in the south naples formed a counterpoise to rome in the centre florence the chief depository of the wealth of the peninsula and the main source of its culture held the scales between the north and the south it is convenient to date the revival of learning in italy from the peace of lodi or of fra simonetta as it is sometimes called it was followed by a league for twenty-five years between the pope alfonso naples florence venice and milan it was the fear of the turks the taking of pera from the genoese the threatening of the coasts of the mediterranean by turkish cruisers which brought about the first league of the italian powers pope nicholas lived just long enough to see it completed he died on march twenty fourth fourteen fifty five he was a scholar pope who defended the papacy not by armies and intrigue but by placing it at the head of modern culture on his deathbed he addressed to the cardinals an apology for his life and reign he claimed to have healed the schism of the church to have recovered its estates and protected them by fortresses to have enriched the papal treasury with books manuscripts and countless works of art and to have done all this not by simony or niggardliness but by the legitimate revenues of a peaceful reign this boast was true enough and these arguments might defend the papacy against the attacks of the council of basil or of constance but the other side of the picture is that nicholas was the first of the worldly popes the forerunner of leo x what would st francis of assisi or st catherine of siena have thought in hearing as the bitterest lament that the muses and apollo wept tears of sorrow over his tomb he was succeeded by calixtus the fourth alfonso de borgia an old man of seventy-seven of great learning and honourable character he was a spaniard of chativa in the province of valencia he was in the confidence of alfonso of aragon and he first connected with the papal tiara the detested name of borgia his short reign was unimportant the pope on his sickbed was surrounded by monks and nephews his only passions were the crusade against the turks and the advancement of his family calixtus sent emissaries into all lands 
nuncios and friars were dispatched into every country the treasures of nicholas were squandered jewels sold books robbed of their costly binding to fit out a fleet of sixteen triremes which only succeeded in plundering a few islands in the archipelago far more important was the defeat which the conqueror of byzantium suffered at the hands of john hunyadi before the walls of belgrade on august ninth fourteen fifty six the conditions of europe were not favourable for a great united effort france dreaded an invasion from england england was preparing to attack france germany refused to move alfonso was more angry against genoa and milan than against the turks it needed something more than the power of a feeble old man however good and however much respected to weld the warring jealousies of europe into a phalanx of attack against the infidel End of section eight section nine of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter four francesco sforza frederick the third pius the second part three the affairs of genoa now become of importance for italian history genoa which had for a long time been subject to milan recovered its liberty in fourteen thirty eight there was an old naval rivalry between the genoese and the catalans which made the genoese the persistent enemies of alfonso of aragon the two principal families in genoa were the adorni and the campo fregosi of great power but of plebeian origin the old nobility found themselves excluded from offices and power in fourteen forty one john antonio del fiesco placed himself at the head of the ancient families of the doria and spinola allied himself with the duke of milan and the king of naples and attacked the power of tommaso campo fregoso who was then doge at the close of fourteen forty two the doge was suddenly deposed and the government committed to a balia of eight men of whom raffaele adorno was one almost immediately afterwards he was elected doge but with limited power peace was now concluded with alfonso of naples and quiet continued for a short time in fourteen forty seven raffaele adorno was forced to give way to his cousin bernabo he was in his turn driven out and was succeeded by more than one of the family of campo fregoso in fact out of the thirty-one doges who reigned between thirteen thirty nine and fifteen twenty seven seven are adorni and fourteen campo fregosi from fourteen forty six no other names but these are seen upon the roll in fourteen fifty three piero fregoso was unable as doge to defend the colony of pera and the other genoese settlements on the black sea as well as the island of corsica had to be surrendered to the bank of st george a trading company invested with powers of government similar to the old east india company of england alfonso was embittered against genoa from the favour which it had always shown to france and especially toward rene of anjou and he gave his support to the family of the adorni 
Piero Campofragoso saw no other hope of safety than to seek help from France. In 1458, Charles VII, King of France, was solemnly declared Lord of Genoa, and he sent as his representative John of Calabria, son of René of Anjou, the titular King of Naples. Alfonso continued the war with great vigor against this new enemy, but died on June 27, 1458. After his death, the throne of Naples was again disputed. Aragon and Sicily went to his brother, Ferdinando. Naples he left to his natural son, Ferdinand, who was generally known as Don Ferrante. Alfonso had endeavored to secure the peaceable succession of Ferrante by marrying a son and daughter of Ferrante to a son and daughter of Francesco Sforza. Calixtus III, notwithstanding the benefits he had received from King Alfonso, refused to recognize his natural son as his heir. He rather supported the claims of John of Calabria of the House of Anjou, and it is probable that his real object was to secure the throne of Naples for one of his nephews. If the Pope had conceived any idea of the infamy with which the advancement of his sister's sons would stain the name of Borgia, he would have suffered them to remain in the obscurity of Valencia. The race of the Borgias and medieval Rome has been compared with that of the Claudii in the ancient city. They were by nature strong of body, full of passion, ambitious, unprincipled, appropriately represented by the bull which they bore on their arms. Two of them, young, immature men, he made cardinals, adopted them and gave them his own name. A third, Don Pedro Luis, his uncle's favorite, was designated for a throne, either that of Naples, Cyprus, or Byzantium. The Vatican was overrun by Spaniards. The Spanish language took the place of the Italian, the faction of the Borgias, the Spanish orthography is Borja, went by the name of the Catalans. Don Pedro Luis Borja was the most powerful and the most brilliant man in Rome. When he saw the Pope's death approaching, he fled from the vengeance of the Romans and retired to Civita Vecchia, where he died of fever. His uncle, Calixtus III, expired on the day succeeding his flight, August 6, 1458. The successor of Calixtus III in the papacy was a remarkable man, early known to the world, Aeneas Silvius Piccolomini, sprung from a noble family of the city of Siena, who now took the name of Pius II. In the conclave, Cardinal Bessarion had said that he would not vote for Piccolomini because he had a disease in his feet, and that the church, threatened by the Turks, had need of a very active head. The event shows how much he was mistaken. The new pope had first made himself known as a poet and a man of letters. In 1430 he became secretary to Cardinal Capronica and accompanied him to the Council of Basel. He traveled all over Europe and was one of the first cultivated Europeans to become acquainted with the condition of Germany. His life is full of romance. Once in a storm off the coast of Scotland he made a vow that if he were saved he would walk barefoot to the nearest chapel of pilgrimage, and he suffered all his life from gout in consequence of the performance of his vow. 
he was created poet laureate of frankfurt by the emperor frederick the third he was afterwards secretary to frederick's chancellor caspar schlick in fourteen forty five he left the emperor for the pope took orders and was made a bishop by nicholas v he did not finally leave germany till fourteen fifty five when he was sent to convey the homage of the emperor to pope calixtus he was made a cardinal in the following year he had lived a life as varied and as full of interest as a condottiere he had attained high rank but had not been able to amass a fortune at the conclave it was difficult to obtain a majority astute de ville archbishop of rouen was the favourite candidate but there were objections to having a french pope at last rodrigo borgia arose and said i vote for the cardinal of siena the rest followed his example and piccolomini heard of his election with tears his very election was a sign of revolution for the first time a travelled cultivated astute man of the world was seen upon the papal throne he took the name of pius as a natural accompaniment to that of aeneas he would say of himself sum pius aeneas fama super aetera notus the emperor was delighted with the choice pius the second was fifty-three years of age when he assumed the tiara small and weak bald-headed looking pale and aged a martyr to the gout men who expected to find in him a literary pope a second nicholas v were disappointed the one object of his efforts was the recovery of constantinople from the turks he summoned the princes of christendom to meet at mantua for the discussion of this common object he said that god had made him pope to liberate the church from this affliction he was sensible enough to recognize ferrante as king of naples we must return to the affairs of genoa which we left in the hands of the french in the spring of fourteen sixty one paolo campofregoso archbishop of genoa and prospero adorno forgetting their quarrel for the moment entered the city and drove the french back into the castle after some vicissitudes adorno was elected doge and the genoese asked sforza to assist them in driving out the french the battle took place on july seventeenth fourteen sixty one the day of sant'alessio the french were entirely defeated and it was ordered that the victory should be commemorated by an annual festival after the battle the animosities between the two rival families again broke out and ludovico campofregoso was made doge in fourteen sixty one charles the seventh of france died and was succeeded by louis the eleventh he had always been a friend of sforza and he now made him a present of savona together with his rights over milan at the beginning of fourteen sixty three paolo campofregoso the archbishop became doge of genoa and was recognized by pius the second his rule was so tyrannical as to be unbearable and his first thought was to take vengeance on those who had at any time opposed him sforza sent gaspare vimarcate to press his claims to the city and in april fourteen sixty four sforza was recognized as lord of genoa the congress of mantua led to but little result the pope delivered a great oration on september twenty sixth fourteen fifty nine 
he showed that if the turks conquered hungary there would be no obstacle to their progress passing through carniola and trieste they might descend upon italy with the same ease with which they might disembark at brindisi he proclaimed a crusade on january fourteenth fourteen sixty and so closed the congress notwithstanding the zeal of the pontiff the plan for a crusade appeared to languish there was a great want of money this was unexpectedly supplied by the discovery of some alum mines at tolfa in the neighbourhood of Civitavecchia by giovanni de castro a friend of the piccolomini family he wrote to the pope i announce to you victory over the turks these mines continued to be profitably worked till eighteen fourteen when artificially made alum took the place of the natural mineral in fourteen sixty three the pope told the astonished world that he would lead the crusade himself in the bull of october twenty second fourteen sixty three he says we will not fight with the sword because our feeble hand can scarcely raise itself to bless the people we will fight not with the sword but with prayer we will stand on high on the poop of the ship or on a high hill near the battle to bless our friends and to curse our enemies the pope although he knew that he was dying determined to travel to ancona where the crusading fleet was to rendezvous he left rome on june eighteenth fourteen sixty four the prelates and the people took leave of him at the ponte mole and he continued his journey with a few companions he reached ancona on july eleventh he found in the town some thirty thousand french and spanish adventurers who when they discovered that the pope had no intention of paying their expenses retired to their homes there were only two papal galleys in the harbour on august twelfth the doge cristoforo moro arrived with twelve galleys from the window of his palace the pope gazed at the venetian fleet as it entered the port and fixed the day of assumption august fifteenth for receiving the doge but on that day he died when the cardinals had finished the sacred rites he called them round his bed and said my hour is come god calls me he spoke of the crusade which he had twice attempted and asked pardon for his many shortcomings his last words were addressed to the cardinal of pavia whom he begged to pray for his soul the forty thousand ducats found in the pope's chest were given to matthias king of hungary every one felt that after the pope's death the crusade was at an end on august sixteenth the doge left ancona and returned to venice on august twenty third francesco sforza was now nearing his end we have already alluded to the marriage of his daughter ippolita maria with alfonso of calabria son of ferrante king of naples frederick the brother of alfonso came to milan in the summer of fourteen sixty five to receive the bride but when the marriage train had reached siena it was stopped by order of the duke this was caused by the death of giacomo piccinino who had been treacherously thrown into prison by ferrante the circumstances which attended this would be incredible if they were not supported by irrefragible evidence piccinino had come to milan from his capital solmona in the summer of fourteen sixty four at the request of sforza the duke received him with every demonstration of affection 
and gave him the hand of his daughter Drusiana. Piccinino then left for Salmona, intending to go to Naples, if he could do so with safety. He sent one of his friends, Brocardo Persico, to sound the intentions of Ferrante, and his reports were most reassuring. Piccinino therefore went to Naples, but there is no doubt that his death, which was warmly desired by Ferrante, because he was an adherent of the Angevin party, had already been conceded by Sforza as a price of alliance with Naples. As a mark of friendship, Sforza had given to Piccinino Pietro Pusterla, one of his own orators or official speakers, and there is no doubt that this man was thoroughly informed of Sforza's most secret intentions, and had no other design than that of conducting Piccinino to death. Suddenly the mask was removed. On St. John's Day, June 24th, when both Naples and Milan were gay with festivity, Piccinino came to the Castello Nuovo to take leave of Ferrante, as he desired to return to Solmona to meet his wife Drusiana. He was received with affection, but was suddenly seized and imprisoned, together with his son Francesco and others. Ferrante justified his conduct in a circular letter full of empty phrases addressed to the potentates of Italy. Drusiana, who had not reached Solmona, returned to her uncle Alessandro in Pesaro. The Braceschi soldiery of Piccinino, insulted and oppressed, took refuge with Domenico Malatesta, and the territories of Piccinino yielded themselves spontaneously to Ferrante. The Pope and the King of France accused Sforza of having consented to the imprisonment of Piccinino. Sforza wrote a long letter of sorrow and expostulation to Naples, and to gain more credit for his innocence, he stopped the marriage train of Ippolita at Siena and sent his son Tristan to demand the liberation of the prisoner. On July 7th, a battle took place between the Aragonese and the Angevin fleece in the Bay of Naples. Ferrante was victorious. It was said that Piccinino, anxious to see what was going on, had climbed upon a table in his cell and had fallen down and broken his leg. Certainly he died a few days afterwards, in all probability strangled by order of Ferrante. Tristan wrote from Naples to urge that Piccinino, being dead, could not be brought to life again, and that Ippolita's marriage had better be concluded. The Pope, the Florentines, and Ferrante joined in the entreaty, and Ippolita entered Naples on September 14, 1465. The letters found by Bucer in the National Library at Paris and published by him in 1879 leave no doubt that Sforza was privy to this disgraceful act of treachery. Sforza's last enterprise was to assist his friend Louis XI in the war against his vassals which ended with the Peace of Conflans. For this purpose he sent his eldest son Galeazzo Maria to command his troops and the young prince was permitted to don the fleur-de-lis of France as an addition to his arms. Francesco died after two days' illness on March 8, 1466, at the age of 65. End of Section 9section ten of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter five cosimo de medici paul the second part one
the affairs of florence now claim our attention after the return of cosimo de medici in fourteen thirty four his great object was to confirm his relations both at home and abroad and to establish them in the fullest security he found a favourable field ready for him in florence as his party had prepared the way for him the heads of the hostile factions had been banished and many of their supporters had been executed it was easy for cosimo to claim the credit that during his term of office he had exiled no one and done no one any harm this was not so much from any inherent gentleness of character or from any especial dislike for violence or bloodshed but from calculated cunning he knew how to allow others to give the laws a character which secured his own position without taking harsh measures himself the two principal instruments he employed for this purpose were Puccio Pucci and Luca Pitti. The family of Pitti had been established in Florence for about a hundred and fifty years, and was destined to make way by its fall for the rising greatness of the Medici. Cosimo had also friends of a different character. Among these was Neri Caponi, who played the part of moderator to his party. Another important friend was Agnolo Acciacciuli, one of a family which reached its highest point of distinction under the Angevin sovereigns of Naples. Agnolo's ancestors had been dukes of Athens and of Corinth. The object of his political activity was to favor the rise of his party in Florence, but to oppose himself to the rise of a single family or a single individual. He was therefore not in complete agreement with Cosimo, but was notwithstanding one of the most brilliant and distinguished members of the Medician party. Another of the same family was Donato Acciacciuli, who was only six years old at the return of the Medici, but who played in early life an important part in state affairs. Other most active supporters of the Medici were the Gigni, who had persistently maintained their devotion to the Guelph cause, the Pandolfini, for whom in later times the painter Raffaele Sanzo dedicated a magnificent palace, and the Giugiardini, one branch of which left the party of the Albizzi, to which they had been before devoted, and joined the Medici. From them sprung a few generations later the famous historian Giugiardini. The strength of these families, although they supported Cosimo on the one hand, made his position more difficult on the other, he was obliged to keep himself in the background the first measure of cosimo was to fill all the offices with his own adherents he also took a singular method of excluding the grandi from power he procured the abrogation of the laws which afflicted them with civil disabilities and made them eligible to all offices the consequence of this was that they were not elected to any office and were excluded from those offices which had before been specially reserved for them he raised men to power who were of no consequence or position and showed the most bitter harshness to his political enemies palastrozzi was banished and compelled to die in exile while his relations the bardi were reduced to absolute poverty Rinaldo degli Albizzi was exiled first to Gesi in the neighborhood of Ancona, then to Naples, then to Trani on the coast of Apulia. 
having no hope of returning to their country except by force these exiles joined filippo maria visconti in his attack upon florence but their plans were shattered by the battle of anghiari in 1440 they were declared infamous and their portraits were painted hanging with signs of infamy on the walls of the bargello the palace of the podesta if such was the severity of cosimo toward his enemies he was not the less anxious that none of his supporters should become too powerful it is suspected that in 1441 he caused the death of baldaccio d'anghiari a distinguished condottiere leader in order to weaken the influence of neri caponi who was a great friend of this soldier in 1444 cosimo being gonfaloniere della giustizia for the third time in the months of september and october established a new reform proposed by his friends called the balia of the eight citizens with the object of keeping all offices in the hands of the medici party this lasted till fourteen fifty five when cosimo thinking that his power was now sufficiently confirmed re-established the election of magistrates by lot under this new system which lasted till fourteen fifty eight his power continued really unimpaired because the bags from which the lots were drawn only contained the names of his own adherents in fourteen fifty eight a revision of the method of rating property was proposed as the existing rate had not been altered for five and twenty years although during this interval the wealth of florence had very largely increased this was naturally resisted by the rich and they had recourse to cosimo to prevent it cosimo did not put himself forward but he allowed pitti who was made gonfaloniere for the purpose to take the burden and the odium of opposing the measure this caused an uproar the great bell of the palazzo vecchio was sounded the people thronged into the piazza della signoria a balia was formed like that of fourteen forty four and all the citizens who had opposed the change were tortured or put in prison in april fourteen fifty nine pope pius the second came to florence on his way to mantua where as we have seen he had summoned an assemblage of the princes of christendom to determine upon a commencement of operations against the turks young galeazzo maria eldest son of francesco sforza was there at the same time and it is recorded that a giraffe then a very uncommon animal was exhibited for his amusement whilst the pope was at florence a very celebrated man died there the archbishop of the town antonio generally called antonino partly out of affection and partly from his short stature he lived the simplest life had no property and spent his time in doing good and in writing works of morality and devotion sant'antonino now shares with the virgin and saint mark the honour of protecting the city of florence in fourteen fifty nine changes again took place in the government with regard to the election of magistrates which proved a new victory for the medician party cosimo died at the age of seventy-five worn out by long infirmities at his villa of Careggi near florence on august first fourteen sixty four a few months before he had buried the younger of his two sons giuliano and an infant son of giuliano's as well 
there only remained to him his elder son piero who had two sons lorenzo afterwards known as the magnificent and giuliano one fifteen the other eleven years of age cosimo had been accustomed to depend on giuliano rather than on piero because piero had bad health and had long been a martyr to the gout weighed down by these losses he exclaimed as he was carried into his vast and desolate palace that it was too large a house for such a family lorenzo the younger brother of cosimo had died in fourteen forty his descendants lived in comparative obscurity so long as the elder line lasted but when this died out in fifteen thirty seven with alessandro a mulatto the bastard son of pope clement the seventh cosimo the head of the younger branch succeeded and became the first grand duke of tuscany in fifteen sixty nine cosimo wished his funeral to be simple but he was too distinguished a man not to be the object of a national mourning he received the title of pater patriae the father of his country which is inscribed upon his tomb in the church of san lorenzo at florence he was the great banker of europe the name of the casa medici had much of the same reputation in europe as the name of rothschild has in our own day he lent a large sum of money to our own king edward the fourth but no one ever made a more noble use of his wealth he performed material services to the most distinguished men of his age it was in recognition of this that pope nicholas v made him the banker of the holy see and in the year of the jubilee fourteen fifty cosimo held on account of the pope more than one hundred thousand ducats he paid great attention to agriculture but the magnificence of his taste showed itself principally in buildings his great palace at florence in the via larga still exists besides this he built numerous villas at Careggi, at fiesole at trebio and at Cafagivolo. he constructed a library at venice and restored an italian college at pavia the branch of the medici bank at milan directed by one of the portinari was famed as one of the most elegant and sumptuous palaces in the town he built or enlarged numerous churches and convents notably the basilica of san lorenzo and the church and convent of st mark at florence the abbey and convent of san domenico at fiesole and a convent for franciscans on the hills near his villa even at jerusalem he established a hospital for poor pilgrims he said i know not the humours of this city before fifty years we shall all be exiled but these buildings will remain cosimo was a contemporary of many florentines whose names are familiar to all who know anything of art brunelleschi who reared into the air the marvellous dome of the cathedral of florence a dome higher and more imposing than that of michelangelo at rome donatello the sculptor whose statues have every attribute of life except those of speech and motion luca della robbia who after carving one exquisite frieze of dancing singing and playing children devoted himself for the rest of his life to modelling saints and virgins in coloured pottery ghiberti who spent the whole of a long life in making two pairs of gates for the baptistry at florence of which the second pair are a wonder of the world and are worthy as michelangelo said to be the gates of paradise cosimo stood in the midst of these learned men who received the new learning as it came like a fugitive from the east 
and distributed its riches through the rest of Europe. In the convent of St. Mark he founded the first public library open to the use of all students. He opened another at the Abbey of Fiesole. The manuscripts in his own private collection formed the foundation of the great Laurentian library, so famous throughout the world. It is scarcely too much to say that if this library did not exist, we should be without the best authorities for the text of Aeschylus, Sophocles, Apollonius Rhodius, Thucydides, Herodotus, and Virgil. His secretary records that his master finished the copying of two hundred volumes in twenty-two months. His treasure chambers were full of carved gems, vases, coins, and jewels. He received the learned Greeks who fled from the advancing Turk, Argyropoulos, Chrysoloras, and others. He raised the great scholar Marsilio Ficino from the position of a poor and humble youth, and gave him a house in the town and a little villa at Careggi. Lorenzo has left on record that between the years 1434 and 1461, Cosimo spent 663,705 florins, equal to as many pounds of our money, in alms and buildings and public gardens, and he adds that he thought the money had been well invested and that he was quite content. Such is the man of whom Machiavelli says that he surpassed all others of his age, not only in authority and riches, but also in liberality and prudence, because amongst all the other qualities which made him the first man of his country, he was above all other men liberal and magnificent. End of section 10. Section 11 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Cosimo de' Medici, Paul II, Part 2. After the death of Cosimo, the most important members of the Medician party were Agnolo Acciacciuli, Dietzalvi Neroni, and Luca Pitti. They thought that it was very doubtful whether Piero, with his ill health, would be able to manage so large and cumbrous a business, and they expected to succeed in undermining his influence in order to prepare the way for their own. Cosimo had directed his son to take the advice of Neroni, both in public and in private affairs, and he recommended Piero to recall a great deal of the money which had been lent lavishly to private citizens, hoping thus to ruin his popularity. He then proceeded to further measures. He formed a conspiracy with the other three, the object of which was to estrange Piero from the Sforzeschi, and to abolish the appointment of offices by the Balia, and to have recourse to the lot. This proposition was carried with only five dissentient voices. In November 1465, Niccolò Soderini became gonfaloniere della giustizia, an occasion comparable to that in May 1376, when Salvastro de' Medici was carried in triumph into the public palace and laid the foundations of the greatness of his house. Soderini was very likely not actuated by personal ambition, but by the desire to restore liberty and to prevent the predominance of a single family in the state. His party was called Del Poggio, or the Hill, deriving its name from the hill of St. George on which Luca Pitti's house stood, 
that huge building once the palace of the ducal medici and now of the kings of italy the medici party was called the party del piano or of the plain names which recall the factions of ancient greece so Dedini found that he could effect very little he summoned two meetings of the citizens one of five hundred and one of three hundred and sought their advice but every one had a different plan to propose he tried to abolish the council of a hundred a recent creation of the medician party but he could not succeed he then proposed to examine the accounts of those who had administered the government but this luca piti would not agree to his office came to an end before he could do anything except refill the bags which contained the names of candidates for office the death of francesco sforza on march eighth fourteen sixty six seemed to deprive the medici of their chief support in italy during the first six months of fourteen sixty six the two parties stood and watched each other the hill party knew not where to turn for allies milan and the other chief italian powers were friendly to the medici pope paul the second who had succeeded pope pius the second was neutral their only hope seemed to lie in the republic of venice which was occupied by its struggle against the turks they opened negotiations with bartolomeo colleone of bergamo the great condottiere leader whose magnificent equestrian statue stands in the square which fronts the school of st mark at venice they also thought of inciting rene of anjou to hold in check king ferrante of naples and acciaiuoli did actually unite for the assistance of borso d'este duke of modena he dispatched his brother ercol d'este with eight hundred cavalry two thousand infantry and one thousand archers they were already on the march when piero was informed of his danger by the lord of bologna and the duke of milan piero narrowly escaped being killed by the conspirators a plan had been formed to cut him down as he returned from his villa at Cadeggi into florence there is a tradition that his young son lorenzo saved his father's life by riding quietly along the roadway as if his father were following and so keeping the conspirators in expectation whilst piero reached florence by another route he went immediately to the signoria and told them of the danger which threatened he took no strong measures against his adversaries but even tried to win over luca piti by promising that lorenzo should marry his daughter and that he should have an important place in the government by this means he avoided an outbreak of civil war the new priors who entered on their office on september first fourteen sixty six were all favourable to the medici the bell was sounded and the people were summoned to a parliament the result of this was that the appointment of offices by nomination was restored for ten years and the heads of the hill party were sent into banishment Ajaciuli and his sons to Barletta, Soderini to Provence. The archbishop of the family of the Nerini fled to Rome. Luca Pitti remained in Florence, but his punishment was worse than exile. His palace remained unfinished, his friends who had given him presents demanded them back of him, he died in obscurity, despised and neglected by all men. Thus the prudence of the Medici gained its ends 
the authority which seemed personal in cosimo was strengthened and perpetuated in his son piero and marks a new epoch in the history of florence bringing the communal government to an end and preparing the way for the medician principate the florentine exiles did not put up quietly with their defeat they still continued their negotiations with venice and persuaded bartolomeo colleone to join the lords of the romagna in campaign against florence to meet the general suspicion of danger which hung over the whole of italy the ambassadors of milan of florence and of king ferrante formed a league at rome for twenty-five years on january fourth fourteen sixty seven giving the opportunity of entering it to siena lucca louis gonzaga of mantua and even to the republic of venice of whom they were especially afraid the pope did not take part in it reserving to himself liberty of action the league of rome chose federigo duke of urbino as their commander-in-chief the two armies of colioni and the league were arrayed opposite to each other in the neighbourhood of imola but nothing decisive took place the new duke of milan galeazzo maria was in the camp of the league and his rank gave him an authority which his experience did not justify the florentines contrived to induce him to visit their city where they entertained him with games and amusements in his absence the duke of urbino was able to fight a battle it was long and bloody but indecisive the duke when he returned to the camp was very angry that an engagement had been fought in his absence and withdrew his contingent he had also heard that amadeus the ninth the new duke of savoy was invading the dominions of the marquis of montferrat his ally this duke called the blessed did much to restore the prosperity of his country and was greatly assisted by his wife violante the sister of louis the eleventh king of france after the departure of the duke the war continued to smoulder but both the venetians and the duke of milan were anxious that the conflagration should not become too dangerous at last on the day of the purification of the blessed virgin february second fourteen sixty eight the pope published a bull for the pacification of italy especially between naples venice milan and florence each of these powers was to accept the peace within thirty days colioni was to be made captain-general against the turks with a stipend of one hundred thousand ducats and was to restore the territories he had recently captured peace was finally made in may with the exclusion of the duke of savoy pope paul the second of the venetian family of barbi was a very handsome man proud of his appearance and fond of pageants and fine clothes he desired to assume the title of formosus on his accession and he laid great stress on the external trappings of his position the jewels on his papal throne were valued at eight hundred thousand gold florins to save money for this splendour he turned out the copyists and scribes who had swarmed in the vatican during the reigns of his literary predecessors they rebelled against this treatment and shut him up as a prisoner in the castle of st angelo without the culture of a nicholas or a pius he was just as much of a pagan the vatican reeked with the greatest pollution and the pope celebrated his carnival 
with representations of gods and heroes, nymphs and bacchanals. On the other hand, he deserves the credit of having revised the statute book of Rome and having established judges of the peace to put down the system of wholesale assassination. The life of Piero de' Medici was now drawing to a close. The exiles had lost all hope of returning to their native land and gave but little sign of their existence or of their discontent. Florence was engaged in a short war with the Pope for the possession of Rimini. Sigismundo Malatesta, lord of that city, died on October 9, 1468, leaving as his heir a bastard son Robert. Paul II claimed the fief as escheated to the church, hoping to obtain it for his nephew, Agostino Barbo. Robert offered to secure the city for the Pope if he might be allowed to drive out his stepmother Isolta from the possession of it. The Pope consented, but soon found that Robert intended to secure the city for himself. A war began in June 1469, and Florence, Milan, and Naples found themselves allied against the Pope. Federico of Urbino gained a decisive victory for the Allies on August 30th. The Venetians were prevented from helping Paul II by the terrible news of the capture of Negroponte by the Turks, and His Holiness at last recognized the succession of the bastard son. Lorenzo de' Medici was now nineteen years of age. As his father was kept in the background by illness, the son came forward to take his place. By frequent travels in Italy he had come to live on intimate terms with the Italian princes. He had been received with royal honors at the courts of Ferrara, of Milan, of Venice, Rome, and Naples. He took an active part in public affairs. His literary education had been superintended by Gentili d'Urbino and the Greek Argyropoulos. He had written poetry as a boy. Ficinus had initiated him into the philosophy of Plato. The Medician palace was the principal place of resort for literary men and distinguished foreigners. Lorenzo was large and well-formed in body, but an ill-shaped nose and a massive jaw deprived his face of beauty. His voice was harsh, his sight weak, and he was entirely without the sense of smell. The former league was renewed by the Treaty of Naples on July 8, 1470. It comprised Naples, Milan, and Florence, as well as many smaller states. The Pope gave it his adherence toward the end of December. After the peace, Lorenzo was able to quietly assume his own position. He persecuted one by one the Caponi, the Strozzi, the Pitti, the Alessandri, and the Soldarini. In short, all the families of distinction which were not decidedly attached to the Medician party. The severity displayed in their banishment and executions formed a strong contrast to the splendors of the Medician court. At the age of twenty-one, Lorenzo married Clarice, daughter of Jacopo Orsini, a distinguished Roman noble. To celebrate his betrothal, a tournament was held in the square of Santa Croce on February 7th, 1469, a very grand and magnificent pageant, which attracted lords and knights from the whole of Italy. Pulci, the author of Morgante Maggiore, a poem which excited the admiration of Byron and inspired Don Juan, 
gave a minute description of the festival in three cantos piero rode out preceded by nine trumpeters and a page with a red and white banner he was accompanied by two giants in full armour and twelve young nobles on horseback the dress of giuliano lorenzo's brother's son was valued at eight thousand ducats five pages followed him on horseback then came drums and fifes and lastly lorenzo himself he was clad half in armour and half in silk and across his breast was a scarf embroidered with fresh and faded roses and the legend le temps viendra in thickly clustered pearls on his satin cap sewn with pearls he bore three feathers of gold lace set with diamonds and rubies and in the middle a pearl worth five hundred ducats on his shield was a diamond called il libro valued at more than ten thousand ducats his horse a present from king ferrante of naples had a saddle-cloth of red and white satin also sewn with pearls his dress worn in the tournament itself was different and on it were conspicuous the gold lilies of france in an azure field the victory was probably arranged for him beforehand he says of himself that though he was young and not very expert yet he received the prize a helmet inlaid with silver surmounted by a figure of mars the god of war and the ancient protector of the city these details have been dwelt upon to show how regal the state of the medici had become and how far it had departed from the republican simplicity of earlier days piero remained almost continually shut up in his villa of Careggi, racked by gout in every limb and entirely unable to move before his death he increased the dominions of florence by the purchase of sarazana which defended the territory of the republic on the side of genoa and rounded it off in that direction he was never able to acquire the much coveted town of lucca which indeed was not united with tuscany until after the middle of the present century piero died on december third fourteen sixty four just a year before this the emperor ferdinand the second made an unexpected expedition into italy under the pretence of performing a vow which he had made during the siege of siena in fourteen sixty two but really with the object of consulting the pope on the subjects of milan hungary bohemia and the turkish war the pope treated the emperor with great condescension and the emperor was not able to assert himself christendom saw for the last time its temporal and spiritual heads walking together through the streets of rome under the same canopy frederick took occasion of publicly depriving galeazzo maria sforza of the duchy of milan and investing a grandson of his own with the fief the proposed measures against the turks came to nothing the last act of paul the second was to create his favourite borso d'este duke of ferrara he died suddenly on july twenty sixth fourteen seventy one his servants found him dead in his bed he had not even received the last sacrament there is no doubt that he died of apoplexy but the report was that he was strangled by certain devils which held him fast he had carried out nothing of the designs of pius the second and his only merit was to have increased to some slight extent the material power of the holy see his reign appears most favourable when compared with those which followed it
after his death the corruption and the degradation of the papacy proceeded with rapid strides end of section eleven section twelve of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six the turks in europe part one during the late years of this history we have often had occasion to record the malign influence of the turks while cities were struggling together in italy and pope and emperor were striving for the mastery the nomad nation of the Turks, like a black cloud of locusts or an irresistible torrent of mud, was slowly advancing and obliterating some of the fairest monuments of civilization and of piety. In the present day, the sympathies of historians or politicians may be either for or against the Turks. Some admire them, some detest them, others, while condemning them, may feel that it is impossible to set up anything in their place but four hundred years ago there could be no doubt about the matter the military virtues of the turks were equalled or surpassed by those of many european nations while there could be no question as to their hatred of christianity and their barbarous and savage character the countries which were attacked by them were flourishing and prosperous the coasts of the levant were covered by the commercial fortresses of the venetian and genoese who occupied the position once held by the ancient greeks bulgaria since used as a term of reproach was a flourishing kingdom the seat of a pure form of christianity which extended its influence to the furthest limits of western europe bosnia was governed by a powerful feudal aristocracy servia was happy and prosperous under its native princes hungary held a proud position amongst the nations of europe and bohemia and poland played no inconsiderable part in the fortunes of the civilized world a slavonic empire christian civilized and powerful united with hungary side by side with the great teutonic empires was then no visionary dream all this was endangered by the impetuous advance of the turkish arms in those days communication of news was difficult events happening in strange and distant kingdoms were hard to realize the fate of constantinople which might long have been foreseen came upon men with surprise yet some of the ablest statesmen in europe were alive to the danger it is to the credit of more than one of the popes that they used every secular and spiritual agency to unite the strength of europe in this great cause but the popes were generally old men and were permitted only a short reign the emperors were often weak and worthless venice which ought to have stood as the warder of europe was occupied with her own ambitions and when she made the effort it was too late it has taken the labour of four hundred years of war and diplomacy to redress in part the disasters which were permitted to arise by the sluggish indifference of the age which we are now examining it will not it is hoped be thought foreign to our purpose if we give some account of the origin of those turks who have played and are destined still to play so large a part in the calculations of european statesmen the vast space of central asia from the ural mountains to the sea of china and japan 
from the frontier of india to the ocean of siberia is inhabited by a number of nomadic tribes who at one time belonged to the same race and probably spoke a similar language these are now divided into four great branches who cannot understand each other's language but who resemble each other very much in manner and habit of life the first of these are the mongols who made their earliest appearance in history under zingis khan in the first quarter of the thirteenth century even at that time the great bulk of his army was composed of turks the mongols now live to the north of the great wall of china the second is the tungusians of whom the most celebrated tribe is the manchus who are the present rulers of china in the third place were the ugri or finnish race these left their home in central asia at a very early period and extended themselves over the baltic and the coasts of the north sea from them are descended the finns and the laps and to them is by many scholars assigned the great race of the magyars the conquerors of hungary the last and largest of the four races is the turks who under different names inhabit a vast extent of country from lake baikal to the boundaries of the greeks and the slavs we hear of them from time to time as turks of kashgar and yarkand as kirghis or uzbeks or turkomans or nogay tartars and lastly as ottoman turks the turks first appear in history about the middle of the sixth century when they descended from the slopes of the altai mountains and attacked the avars they sent an embassy to the emperor justinian and received the envoys of rome into their camp about five hundred years later a d ten thirty three another tribe of turks or turkomans conquered persia and the dynasty of seljuk reigned over them for a little more than a hundred years towards the end of the eleventh century the seljukian empire split up into four parts and the princes of one of these divisions conquered asia minor and founded the kingdom of Rum. this kingdom is described as extending from the euphrates to constantinople from the black sea to the confines of syria pregnant with mines of silver and iron of alum and copper fruitful in corn and wine and productive of cattle and excellent horses the capital of the new kingdom was fixed at nicaea in bithynia distant only a hundred miles from constantinople the birthplace of the great creed of christendom gibbon says of this striking change the divinity of christ was denied and derided in the same temple in which it had been pronounced by the first general synod of the catholics the date of the consolidation of the kingdom of Rum is ten eighty four the conquest of jerusalem by the turks immediately after this gave occasion to the first crusade the first result of this enterprise was that the turks were compelled to remove their capital to iconium two hundred miles further from constantinople the caliphs of baghdad and the various seljukan dynasties were overthrown by the invasion of zingis khan which has been already mentioned he retreated believing that he had left nothing but desolation in his track but a little spark had escaped the deluge and was destined to become a mighty flame a tribe of turkomans from the banks of the oxus had taken service under the sultan of iconium the chief of this tribe now ruled over four hundred families in the mountains of bithynia his son ottoman 
who should more properly be called Osman, has given his name to the Ottoman Turks. In the last year but one of the 13th century, July 27, 1299, he invaded the territory of Nicomedia. Before his death he was able to hear that his son Orkan had conquered the town of Brusa, and this event, which happened in 1326, may be regarded as the real beginning of the Ottoman Empire. It is not necessary for our purpose to follow the development of this empire in detail. A map of Central Europe in 1452 will show that the Osmanlis occupied all the western part of Asia Minor except the mountains of Pamphylia and Cilicia in the south. Philadelphia, which had long maintained its independence, had been forced to surrender in 1390. The Ottoman Turks occupied the whole of Romania, Servia, and Bulgaria, with the exception of the three-fingered peninsula of Chalcidia. The Dobrudska then is now formed a part of the Romanian territory. Bosnia and Albania still preserved their independence, and Thessaly was a kingdom. The conquest of Constantinople was reserved for Mahomet II, the son of Amurath II. His capital was at Adrianople. For the attack upon the stupendous walls of Constantinople, he prepared a huge brass cannon capable of throwing a stone ball six hundred pounds in weight. A large breach was made in the gate of San Romano. On the evening of May 28, 1453, confused cries of Allah ila Allah and of Curie Ileison ran from the contending armies, and at daybreak, on May 29th, the assault began all did their duty but the turks were the conquerors and mohammed ii entered in triumph the cathedral of santa sophia when the sultan ordered a search for the person of the emperor constantine his body was found under a confused heap of christian and infidel corpses the fate of new rome called a blush of shame to the faces of the christian princes of europe if the emperor of the west could have led a host selected from every european nation from sweden to naples the turks might have been driven back to the euphrates we have an animated picture of the feelings of the time in the writings of silvius piccolomini christendom he says is a body without a head a republic without laws or magistrates the pope and the emperor may shine as lofty titles or as splendid images but they are unable to command and none are willing to obey. Every state has a separate prince and every prince a separate interest. What eloquence could unite so many discordant and hostile powers under the same standard? Could they be assembled in arms who would take the place of general? What order could be maintained? What military discipline could be enforced? Who would undertake to feed so enormous a multitude? what mortal power could reconcile the english with the french genoa with aragon the germans with the nations of hungary and bohemia if a small number enlisted in the holy war they would be overthrown by the infidels if a large number by their own weight and confusion when all hope of resistance was at an end the powers of europe vied with each other in their anxiety to make peace with the conqueror the brothers of the last emperor constantine paleologus the princes of chios and lesbos calajan of the house of comninus all submitted themselves servius sent a tribute of twelve thousand florins 
the genoese settled in galata consented to buy the preservation of their rights from the infidel the contribution of the island of ragosa was doubled as a punishment for having received and harboured members of the greek imperial family and greek men of letters on their way to europe even the pride of venice was compelled to submit in the capital of constantinople forty-seven venetian nobles had been killed many taken prisoners and many venetian families had lost their property the possessions of the republic in greece were threatened and jacopo loredano was sent with twelve galleys to the defence of the negropont the fiery-tempered doge francesco foscari would have declared war but it was thought better to temporize the peace of lodi which followed on the capture of constantinople had secured tranquillity in italy bartolomeo marcello was sent as ambassador to the sultan and agreed to pay a small yearly sum for the possession of lepanto and scutari and for security of trade a resident venetian consul termed a bailio was admitted into constantinople this timely submission perhaps preserved venice from the fate of genoa the ligurian republic was as we have heard torn asunder by internal dissensions there was no central authority strong enough to defend these distant dependencies from attack they were given up to the bank of st george only to be lost altogether kaffa in the crimea had to be surrendered amastris the most flourishing possession of genoa in the black sea was depopulated in order to fill the empty streets of constantinople famagusta the possession of the genoese in the island of cyprus was conquered by the family of lusignan to be transferred to venice at a later period when mohammed the second saw that he was secure on the side of the sea and had nothing to fear from the intervention of christendom he determined to turn his arms toward the north servia was already tributary but he wished to subdue it altogether and above all to gain the mastery of the great fortress of belgrade which would thus become the point of departure for future efforts he did not despair of success but he was repulsed from the walls of belgrade by the hero of hungary the great general john hunyadi the father of king matthias corvinus the only regular troops at his disposition were three hundred polish crusaders and a few german landesknechts but with these he was able to put strength into an undisciplined rabble of fifty thousand men the fleet of mahomet was destroyed he was severely wounded and he retired leaving twenty-four thousand dead upon the field and his tents and all his property as a spoil to the conquerors the defeat took place in july fourteen fifty six mahomet was driven back to sophia for a time but two years later he succeeded in subduing servia with the treacherous help of the native nobles End of section twelve section thirteen of the age of the condottieri by oscar browning this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six the turks in europe part two the finest character in this dismal narrative of cowardice and incompetence is skanderbeg the ruler of albania who maintained the independence of his native land during his lifetime his proper name was george castriot 
and when albania had been compelled in the reign of amurath ii to submit to the authority of the sultan he went with his three brothers to adrianople amurath treated him with great distinction and gave him a high command he concealed his plans till they were well matured and behaved as a devoted servant of the port but when in fourteen forty four the turks were retreating before the columns of the hungarians he threw off the mask and was received with acclamation by the people he was assisted by the venetians and in the battle of dibra in the same year he gained a splendid victory in which twenty-two thousand turks were killed on the three days october seventeenth through twentieth fourteen forty eight was fought the battle of kosovo or the blackbird field as it is called certainly one of the decisive battles of the world after three days hard fighting the hungarians were entirely defeated and even the valour of john hunyadi could not save them and servia and bulgaria were conquered at the same time yet skanderbeg remained unsubdued behind the walls of croya he laughed at the power of amurath all europe looked on with wonder at his hardihood and sent him presents and embassies of honour amurath the second died in fourteen fifty one his son mohammed the second found skanderbeg as invincible as his father had found him in two succeeding years fourteen fifty five and fourteen fifty six he completely defeated the turkish forces and in one year took three generals prisoners mohammed tried to get rid of skanderbeg by treachery but fraud was not more successful than force he then made peace with him but this was not of long duration year after year the old quarrel broke out again and always to the advantage of the albanians when he died in january fourteen sixty seven at the age of sixty-three his country was independent while the venetians were losing one possession after another skanderbeg left his territory under the protection of the venetians but mohammed made it a point of honour to obtain the place for which he had so long struggled and he desired to have albania as a starting point for the invasion of italy the albanian scutari was defended by antonio loredano with the greatest courage in fourteen forty seven and the turks were forced to retire but the respite was a short one four years later scutari and croya were captured by mohammed the second and their possession was secured to him by the peace of constantinople in fourteen seventy nine one of the transient intervals of peace with skanderbeg gave mohammed the opportunity of completing the conquest of bosnia the country was torn asunder by intestine strife not only political but religious the king stephen thomas fourteen forty three to fourteen fifty nine had wavered between submission to the turk and dependence on the strength of hungary after his death the throne was contested by three competitors bosnia like bulgaria was the seat of that rare form of belief called the paulician heresy which spreading westwards from the fastnesses of the balkans had supplied italy germany and southern france with devoted martyrs the pope could not avoid taking part against the heretics possessed though he was with a fiery zeal against the turks the country was completely conquered in the two years fourteen sixty two to fourteen sixty three the paulician landowners 
allowed themselves to be easily converted to the mohammedan faith and it is said that the numerous mohammedan proprietors who offered the keenest assistance to the occupation of bosnia by the austrians in eighteen seventy nine were the descendants of christian ancestors two years later the herzegovina was incorporated with the turkish empire the montenegrins withdrew into their mountain fortress and maintained a war of independence against the moslems for four hundred years until they were recognized by the treaty of berlin wallachia was governed by a despot vlad the fourth whose cruelties were worse than those of any italian tyrant he is said to have put to death in a few years twenty thousand people of every condition age and sex he paid tribute to the port but seeing that mohammed had determined to conquer him he made an alliance with matthias corvinus after atrocities far worse than any which in the present century have been witnessed in the east vlad was defeated and went to live in hungary where he was kept in prison after his death wallachia became entirely turkish the brother of the emperor constantine palaiologus governed the wallachians with the title of despot or lord the tyranny of the sultan drove them to revolt and the peloponnesus was finally conquered in fourteen sixty one the proud race of the palaiologi sank into obscurity the duchy of athens once held by walter of brienne was now in the hands of the florentine family of the Acciaciuli. They had been at first tributary to the Venetians, but since 1295 had owed allegiance to the Turks. Family quarrels and disputed succession gave Mohammed an opportunity of conquering the country in 1455. Thebes and Boeotia suffered the same fate. The Parthenon, which had been converted into a Christian church, was now turned into a mosque. A Turkish garrison took possession of the Acropolis thus in ten years from the time of his accession mohammed had achieved the conquest of the whole of greece it would be foreign to the plan of this work to trace the development of the turkish empire toward the east suffice it to say that the byzantine empire of trebizond fell in fourteen sixty two caramania the eastern part of asia minor was finally subdued in fourteen seventy three and that the crimea including the Genoese Emporium of Kaffa, was conquered in 1475. But the struggle of the Turks with the great European power of Venice must be described in some detail. The islands of the Greek archipelago were all this time in the possession of various Frankish princes of Italian origin, chiefly Venetians or Genoese. Mohammed saw that in order to extend his conquests over this region, it was necessary to prepare a fleet the fate of these small principalities was not uncertain their absorption by the turks was only a question of time they attempted to put off the fatal day by paying tribute and by submission and whilst mohammed was fully employed elsewhere he was content to leave matters in a state of indecision in fourteen sixty two as soon as he felt himself free he prepared for a powerful attack on lesbos then held by a Gataluzi of Genoa, whose ancestor had married a princess of the Palaiologi. An opportunity was as usual afforded by family dissensions. Lesbos was besieged and taken by storm on September 19, 1462, and the inhabitants were killed or taken prisoners. 
the venetians were much blamed for allowing this island to fall without attempting to defend it but they feared to bring upon themselves the scourge of the sultan's power pius the second saw country after country and island after island fall under the grasp of the moslems without being able to rouse christendom to the rescue at last in fourteen sixty three stimulated by the loss of argos the venetians were persuaded to declare war argos and corinth were soon taken and lost again the last sight which gladdened the eyes of the dying pope was the sailing of a venetian fleet into the harbour of ancona it is true paul the second was a venetian but turkish diplomacy was then as now skilful in sowing dissension between rival powers and in preventing union for a common object king ferrante received a turkish embassy at naples and the court of milan accepted presents from the sultan an alliance with skanderbeg gave the venetians hope for a time but their plans were shattered by the defeat of both fleet and army at patras in the spring of fourteen sixty seven barbarigo their general was taken prisoner and vittori capello their great admiral died of a broken heart the death of skanderbeg in the same year was another blow the venetians offered mohammed the second peace but he refused to accept it and the war continued the conquest of the town of Inas by a new venetian admiral named nicolo canale roused mohammed to a desire for vengeance he determined to direct all his strength against negropont the chief possession of the republic in greek waters this island called eubea in ancient times lies along the northeast coast of attica and is joined by a bridge to the mainland the second and final storm took place on july eleventh fourteen seventy and on the following morning the island was taken the inhabitants were treated with the utmost cruelty the fate of this island produced scarcely less effect in europe than the taking of constantinople canale the admiral whose hesitation was thought to have lost the island was sent into exile and pietro mocenigo was appointed his successor for several years the war continued in desultory fashion mocenigo succeeded in burning and plundering some towns on the coast of asia minor and in assisting the inhabitants to avenge themselves upon the turks but this kind of warfare was almost as disastrous to the venetians as to their enemies commerce was interrupted and the very purpose for which emporia had been established in the east ceased to have any existence in fourteen seventy one the turks carried the war into the italian territory they crossed the river isonzo pressed on to the tagliamento and the piave and wasted fields and villages with fire and sword at last peace became a necessity for the existence of the republic for fifteen years they had attempted to defend their hard-won possessions their commerce was now destroyed the moslem was ravaging their vines and mulberries the coast towns of albania and dalmatia were threatened with destruction their last possessions in the levant were slipping from their hands and venice itself was wasted with a destructive plague the nobles began to desert the sinking ship and the government had no other course open to it but to send giovanni dario with full power to treat for peace the peace of constantinople was signed on january twenty sixth fourteen seventy nine 
the conditions were hard. The Republic was forced to surrender Scutari and Croya in Albania, the islands of Lesbos and Negropont, and the mountains of the coast of Morea, as well as to pay an indemnity of 150,000 ducats and a yearly sum of 10,000 ducats as a compensation for customs and tolls. The Venetians, by these means, rescued their remaining commerce, secured the towns which still remained to them, and were allowed to establish bailies or consuls in various parts of the Turkish states. A short account of the manner in which the island of Cyprus passed into the hands of the Venetians may fitly conclude this chapter. In the year 1191, the island of Cyprus had been given by Richard Coeur de Lyon to Guy de Lusignan in exchange for the kingdom of Jerusalem. It continued in this family till the death of John II, which took place in 1458. John left two children, a legitimate daughter, Carlotta, and an illegitimate son, James. Carlotta married first John, Duke of Coimbra, and secondly, Louis, Duke of Savoy. He was crowned in the Cathedral of Nicosia on October 7, 1459, as the King of Cyprus, Jerusalem, and Armenia. James, with the help of some Egyptian Mamelukes, conquered the kingdom and drove Carlotta out of it. The Genoese, who had an establishment at Famagusta, took the part of Carlotta. The Venetians supported the side of James. Marco Cornaro, a Venetian settled in Cyprus, assisted James with money to conquer the island, and gave him his niece, Caterina Cornaro, in marriage with a large dowry. She had previously been declared the daughter of the Republic and crowned as queen. James by this means became the son-in-law of the Republic. The marriage took place in 1473, and a child was born in the same year, which was regarded as King of Cyprus under the name of James III. The infant, however, scarcely lived a year, and from 1474 to 1486 the island was regarded as Venetian the islanders were worse off than ever. They had repulsed Carlotta for fear of falling under a Savoyard king, but they now found themselves under the dominion of a Venetian queen. A rebellion broke out in Cyprus, and Mocenigo was compelled to conquer the island. Caterina, after her husband's death, lived partly at Venice and partly at Asolo, where her palace still exists. The island remained in the possession of Venice, although the titular queen survived till 1510. End of section 13. Section 14 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7. Lorenzo de' Medici, Galeazzo Maria Sforza, Part 1. After the death of Piero de' Medici in 1469, Lorenzo succeeded practically to the government of the state. He felt the great burden which lay upon him and made use of the counsel of Soderini and others. Giuliano was of a quiet disposition and fond of pleasure, so that the chief burden of government fell upon Lorenzo. The government of Florence was arranged in the following manner. There was a council of a hundred, which elected officers called accopiatori, who in their turn chose the Gonfolonieri. As Lorenzo was not satisfied with this arrangement, he drew the bonds of power still tighter, and on July 3, 1470, 
secured the election of new accopiatore who united to the previous body formed a council of forty which elected the great council of two hundred by this measure which was carried when angelo della stufa was gonfalonieri of justice the lordship of lorenzo began to assume a legal aspect at the same time the concilio del comune and the concilio del popolo were abolished the office of capitano del popolo was also done away with and the position of the podesta became far less important than before with respect to external relations lorenzo saw that no reliance was to be placed on the venetians or on the pope the venetians were as we have seen being hard pressed by the turks and were anxious to increase their possessions on the terra firma of italy in proportion as they lost them in the east the popes were generally old and capricious men and a sudden and unexpected death might at any moment change the policy of the papal curia therefore the surest alliances of florence lay with milan in the north and naples in the south the medici were the great bankers of italy as they were its richest inhabitants not only were they the depositories of wealth which made it the interest of many italian princes that they should not become insolvent but they were the resource to which the hard-pressed and impecunious naturally turned in time of need the archives of the medici doubtless contained many begging letters in which the suitors were among the most powerful potentates in the world john galeazzo sforza consolidated the florentine alliance by a visit to their city in the autumn of fourteen seventy one he was accompanied by the principal personages of milan and by bona of savoy his wife historians describe with minuteness the number and splendour of his retinue and of that of his consort the knights the pages the led horses the very kitchen knaves dressed in gold and silver this exhibition of royal splendour is not without significance the centre of it was the son of a condottiere leader the grandson of a peasant adventurer while the visit was made to a republic which could no longer feel shocked that a prince should visit one of its citizens in princely guise when the duke entered the medici palace in the via larga he was astonished at the wealth and splendour of its collections and felt that he could not hope to rival it the more serious florentines were indeed disgusted that the visit being paid in lent the feastings and junketings which accompanied it did not always respect the limit of the precepts of the church after the death of paul the second eighteen cardinals came together in conclave on august sixth fourteen seventy one and three days afterwards elected as pope the cardinal of san pietro in vincoli francesco della rovere he was born at albizzola near savona the son of a poor sailor he was general of the franciscan order and was very learned on questions of scholastic theology he was now fifty-seven years old and was of a hot-blooded and determined nature sixtus the fourth for this was the title he assumed was inexperienced in politics but he imitated his predecessors by contemplating a crusade against the turk but he was carried on by the irresistible tide of events and during his reign the papacy began to assume a worldly character which was only surpassed in the time of alexander the sixth under him 
we find a terrible development of that vice of nepotism which did so much to discredit the character of the popes and which yet was almost inseparable from the part of a worldly sovereign we must not consider this nepotism as merely the amiable weakness of an old man for his relations it has also its political side without some such assistance the court of rome could not have held its own among the powerful and ambitious courts which were growing up around it as the roman curia under calixtus the third had been spanish and under pius the second sienese so under sixtus the fourth it became ligurian a few months after his accession he elected to the cardinalate giuliano della rovere bishop of carpentras son of his brother raffaele twenty-eight years of age he was at a later period to become pope under the name of julius the second at the same time he gave the cardinal's hat to pietro riario son of his sister bianca girolamo the brother of pietro was destined to pursue a political career and to found a state as a man of arms on pietro his uncle lavished all the resources of his favour he made him patriarch of constantinople archbishop of seville florence and mende and gave him so many benefices that his income amounted to sixty thousand florins two other nephews brothers of giuliano remained laymen leonardo married a daughter of king ferrante and was made prefect of the town of rome and giovanni was united to a daughter of federico duke of molino girolamo riario received as his bride catherine sforza the illegitimate daughter of galeazzo maria and the lordship of imola was purchased for him by his indulgent uncle the life of cardinal riario was a short but a merry one no words can exaggerate the profuse and childish luxury of his court at rome this is shown by the reception he gave to leonara of aragon natural daughter of king ferrante who passed through rome in june fourteen seventy three on her way to marry hercules duke of ferrara the square of santi apostoli was converted into a banqueting hall the princess reclined like cleopatra on the costliest tapestries at the banquet the waiters were clothed in silk and the seneschal changed his dress four times the banquet was served with wild boars roasted whole in their skins goats hares fishes covered over with silver peacocks in their pride pheasants storks cranes stags a bear served up skin and all with a stick in his mouth a mountain which gave birth to a living man who came out looked at the people and went in again other dishes represented the history of atlas the story of perseus and andromeda and the labours of hercules barley sugar castles full of meat were stormed and their contents thrown to the people outside while sailing ships discharged their cargo of sugared almonds cardinal giuliano despised the folly of his cousin but there was some danger in it nevertheless when riario went to milan in fourteen seventy three where he found a fit companion in the duke galeazzo he entered into plans of far-reaching ambition a design was formed to make galeazzo duke of lombardy at the expense of the venetian territory and in return piero was to be made pope sixtus was either to be forced to abdicate or to be killed 
on his way back from milan cardinal riario stayed at venice where he was received with great honour but he died immediately on his return to rome january fifth fourteen seventy four it is said in consequence of his excesses there was some talk of poison having been administered to him either at venice or florence and this suspicion may have prejudiced the pope against the two cities during the two years of his cardinalate the young man had spent two hundred thousand gold florins and was considerably in debt his tapestries his silver plate and his furniture which was valued at not less than eight thousand ducats passed to his brother girolamo leonardo della rovere died in fourteen seventy six and his brother giovanni was made prefect of rome in his place this growing degradation of the papacy was not witnessed by the best and wisest of the cardinals Bessarion, who died at ravenna on november nineteenth fourteen seventy two he was as upright and robust a man as he was a diligent and learned scholar he left a great collection of manuscripts which he gave to the library at venice he was born a member of the greek church but became reconciled to the latin church at the council of florence the luxury and pride of the new italian princes whether men of milan florence or rome were not likely to pass without exciting energetic opposition the cardinal riario if he did not die of poison might perhaps have fallen a victim at no distant period to private or public vengeance the years fourteen seventy six and fourteen seventy eight witnessed two murders of princes both perpetrated in church both with a design of satisfying private animosity and of overturning intolerable tyranny the duke of milan was murdered in the church of san stefano in milan the conspiracy of the pazzi slew one of its victims in the cathedral of florence the cruelties of galeazzo maria sforza almost exceed belief a priest who had prophesied that he had only eleven years to reign was starved to death by the duke's orders a man who dared to write a letter to the duke's mistress had his two hands chopped off another offender was shut up in a chest and buried alive a peasant who had killed a hare was made to eat it skin and all and died in consequence the duke enjoyed nothing so much as being present at executions his lust exceeded all limits and he took as much pleasure in the disgrace of his victims as in the gratification of his passions in the time of duke francesco a certain scholar named cola montano had come to teach at milan he had a great enthusiasm for the history of ancient rome he painted the effeminacy of galeazzo in the darkest colours and hinted that in a purer and more heroic age he would have met the rewards of his deserts he sent some of the most distinguished of his scholars among them girolamo da olgiate to bartolomeo corleone to learn the trade of arms but they were immediately recalled in fourteen seventy four montano was imprisoned under the suspicion of having written some epigrams against the duke and this made him more bitter than before in the following year he returned to milan and met giovanni andrea lampugnano after this he quitted the city never to return he was absent at the time of the duke's murder and therefore could have taken no part in it but it is certain that the ultimate inspiration of the deed came from him lampugnano and algiate found an ally in carlo visconti 
they met in the garden of the church of sant'ambrogio devoted themselves under a solemn compact to the holy work and called upon the saint to assist them in their enterprise the duke galeazzo maria had just been engaged in a military expedition in the territory of vercelli and had concluded a league with louis the eleventh of france with the assistance of philippe de comines the celebrated historian he returned to milan on december twentieth fourteen seventy six the eve of st thomas's day and had passed the season of christmas in the usual festivities on the day of st stephen december twenty sixth he desired to hear mass in the castle of porta jovia where he resided but his chaplains had already gone to the church of st stephen and the bishop of como could not satisfy his wish he went to the church on horseback accompanied by the envoys of ferrara and mantua he was clothed in silk and gold and had unfortunately no breastplate as he entered the church lampugnano went before him to clear the way he then knelt down as if to ask a favour and plunged a dagger into his stomach oljate stabbed him in the neck visconte under the shoulders he died immediately and was buried the same evening without ceremony in the cathedral lampugnano attempted to fly but his feet becoming entangled in the dresses of the ladies who thronged the entrance of the church fell and was killed by the duke's guards the other two escaped but were soon captured and executed oljate who was only twenty-two years of age was torn to pieces with hot pincers he gloried in his crime and boldly declared that the judge before whom he was shortly about to stand would pardon his other faults for this one act of virtue it is reported that his last words were colligate hieronyme stabit vetus memoria facti mors acuta fama perpetua courage girolamo the memory of your deed will remain for ever death is bitter but fame is eternal when sextus the fourth heard of the death of the duke he said to-day the peace of italy is dead End of section fourteen say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.